think it would almost be fitting we were to add one more verse to that in this sermon, Lord. It's not something that I also say lightly. I want you to understand um, I'm burdened for the pulpits in America. There's a lot of glorification of people. A lot of glorification of one another. Glorification over bands. Not an awful lot of glorification of the Lord and Savior. It's a, it's a concern. An honest concern. And I think it's something that we ought to make a matter of prayer. Not necessarily a matter of constant criticism and let's point and laugh or point and joke. But honestly pray. There are pastors I want you to understand. There are pastors I pray that would get saved. And it's, it's evident in the message that they're proclaiming. They just need to meet Jesus. Well, that one's free. Let's get on to the message. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. <clears throat> and let's read verses 26 down to verse 31. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth, no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Can you read with me as we read verse 31? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Father, I beg of You that You would hide me behind Your words, Your cross. Father, that You would speak through me today. Father, that You would remove anything about me that would be a hindrance to Your people hearing Your truth. The Father, You would work through me in spite of me. Father, the one who doesn't know You today, I ask You that You would woo them to You as You never have. But You always are. Father, I pray that for the one who believes that they are a child of God, yet they're wrapped in rags of religion, I ask that You would expose them. Expose it to their own mind that they would see the truth 
Father, for those of us who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God and yet are not living that way. Father, I pray a conviction that would overwhelm. Father, that this place would set out, Father, to bring You the utmost glory, the utmost admiration, for You are worthy. So God, I ask that You would move amongst us. And Father, that You would change us today. For we could all use a little more sanding, a little more smoothing out. Father, turn up the heat so that You can burn away whatever impurity remains. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's the time of the year where you see all the clowns and the skeletons and everything all around. You drive for any amount of time, you're going to find something horrific to look at. When you turn on your television, you flip through the channels, you're going to see advertisements for this horror flick or that scary show. Personally, I've never had much time for that type of entertainment. I don't need a skeleton or a monster or a, a, these sadistic movies they come out with today. I just I don't understand it. I had one individual tell me one time, I just like the feeling of being frightened. Can we read a little bit? And let's just see if that holds true. Look again with me at our passage and our text for the day. Verse 26. Notice this. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. I don't need a horror movie. I've got more than enough to be scared about right there. And it's time for the people of God who claim to be children of God, singing the songs of God, coming to the house of God, to wake up. This is something that is a message that has been delivered Uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit penned down by this preacher for us today. Now, the passage presented before us here is one of most solemn yet terrible warning. In all this book, you're going to find fewer words that can compare to the warning that you're being given here. We've seen warnings as far as doubt is concerned, as far as drifting is concerned. This one, however, ought to bring a chill up your spine, dance around on the back of your neck for a little bit, and wake us up. The admonition was based on who Christ is. Don't forget that we're in the application portion of this book. We have gone through all of the doctrinal portion of the book, and last week we started looking at the application, and here we find ourselves applying based on the doctrine. 
And based on everything that we have seen thus far, it's all about the, su- the supremacy, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our atoning sacrifice. Because of who he is, last week we noted that we were compelled and we were uh, admonished to draw closer to him. Not only that, but we were also encouraged to hold fast and make, make sure that we are holding tightly to what we are claiming. How do I hold tightly to what I claim? Is this about holding tightly to salvation? No, it's about holding tightly to what we're saying. By proclaiming that I am a child of God, I am saying he is God and is deserving of all of my attention, all of my yieldedness, all of my time, all of my finances, all of everything. He deserves it all. Does my life bear this out? That's holding fast. But not only that, the, the, the in, in, encouragement to submit to ed, being edified by the body and to do the same for the brothers and sisters in Christ. And we kind of ended everything last week by looking at the thing that we could do, which would be the most loving act that we could do for one another, is for us personally to draw near to Christ, make sure that our life reveals that drawing near to Him, and encourage others to do the same before I make sure that my children have the greatest education or that they have every opportunity to get involved in whatever extracurricular that they desire to do, before I ever do that, I need to ensure that I am introducing them to drawing near to Christ. That's primary. People say, well, I'm, I'm just trying to be loving to my children. And my, my, chi- my, my son or my daughter wants a, a new car, and so they, they got themselves a new job that takes them away from church. What are you encouraging? Are you encouraging the purchase of that new vehicle, or are you encouraging them to draw near to Christ? Well, I just want what's best for them. What's best for them is to be poor, broke, penniless, and in love with Jesus. That'll benefit them a whole lot more than any amount of money they can earn through the years. But here we come, based on all of that, to a statement that is made. The verse, uh, verse 26, is, it begins with the word for. In other words, based on what we all we have seen here, For if we willfully sin, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice. We must come to grips for the reason behind everything that is said in Holy Writ. Every commandment, every encouragement, every uh, chastisement, every correction is based on here, in this alone, He is worthy. Every commandment from God, thou shalt not. Why? Well, because God's worthy that you listen and don't do that. Well, why should I? Uh, Paul said, all things are, are lawful for me. He says, everything's okay. Yeah, but he also said, not everything is expedient. In other words, it doesn't necessarily profit you. Well, yeah, but the Bible says, you know, Paul, even he, he pinned it. It's in God's word. I'm allowed to do that. Are you willing to give it up? Well, I don't have to. Does he 
deserve your attention? Is he worthy of you sacrificing that thing that you want so badly? Listen, I'm I'm living proof that you can you can do one of two things. You can give it to him or allow it to be taken away. My friends, what we have before us here is a very solemn warning. This warning kind of brings uh, kind of brings with it a, a, a couple questions. One main one that I really want to kind of look at today, and I just want you to be thinking about this in your own heart and in your own life, is simply this: Can a true believer reject God's word? And this is where we really want to kind of focus our attention for just a moment this morning. And I'm going to have some statements that are going to be hard statements, difficult statements. And it's not my intention by any stretch of the imagination to try to be a Gestapo of any sort. It's not what I'm trying to do. It's not my intention to hurt anyone. It's not my intention to challenge your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle, your, uh, your spouse, or your best friend's salvation. I'm not doing that. All I'm trying to do is present to you the text at hand the clearest way possible. This warning that is given to us in this passage is directed to any who would hear. Now, a lot of people will argue whether it's directed toward the unbeliever or to the believer. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of an understanding with this because so often we see things such as this and we say, well, that's directed to someone who is, and so it's not, no, 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 no. Just because you think that it's directed to someone else doesn't mean you need to tune out and not start to apply things. Point of fact, that's really what's being said here, that you would hear and apply. This passage is written to a body of professing believers. Let's not forget that. He is addressing this body of Jewish believers, Jewish converts. They were struggling with a few things. They were going back to the temple. They were going back to temple sacrifices. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to get them to understand something. He's saying, hey, you don't need to go back. Jesus is so much better. He is sufficient. Quit going back to these beggarly elements. Quit doing this. Quit going over here. You are trotting underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to get their attention. He is talking to the body of believers. My friends, it is no different than every single one of us sitting here today. This is a message, a sermon that is being presented. And he's not trying to to present to the entire body and pick out just a couple people who maybe aren't born again in the crowd and say, hey, wait a minute, you guys need to wake up and be like the rest of us. No, he is speaking to the body as a whole. He is speaking to those who are professing to be born again by the Spirit of God. I want you to notice a couple things that he says based on all of this. He says, if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of truth. He is speaking to those who have received the knowledge of truth. 
And then he says, uh, if you continue in verse number 29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Who is he talking about? We. He is referring to the people in the crowd. This passage being written to the body of professing believers is no idle warning but one that ought to shake anyone claiming to know Jesus Christ as their their Lord and Savior to their very core. It ought to wake some of us up. It is as if the writer is saying, draw near, hold fast, consider one another, and if you don't, you better be afraid. That's basically what he's saying here. He's saying, if you are not ready and you are not willing to do these things on behalf of the the body of believers to come together, to draw closer to God, if you have no desire to hold tightly to the things that you have been given, if you have no desire to consider one another, you ought to be afraid, my friend. Now, there's the specific side of things. We're going to get into the general a little bit more here in a moment. But I want to look at, uh, at, at four specific things today. Number one, who is being addressed? Number two, what exactly is their sin? Number three, what is the outcome? And then four, why the warning? First off, let's look at who is being addressed. We've already kind of touched base on this. Some will contend that it was being addressed only to the unbeliever, but I disagree. I had already noted the we and those that have received the knowledge of truth. So this was not a message that like a preacher would be preaching on a street corner to people who have never heard the gospel. He is preaching to those who are claiming to be regenerated. You see, we've got to be honest that within every church or in, in every congregation they have within them, those who are genuinely saved, those who think they are saved, and those who know they are not. You have all three represented any time. This is something that we need to be aware of. The writer of Hebrews was aware of this. Well, preacher, you're being awful judgmental, are you? No, I'm presenting the Word of God. Every church has this within their walls. And they know that this is something that they ought to address. The question then is, well, Pastor, how do you sort them out? I don't. That's their job. It's not my job to go down the road and go saved, unsaved, thanks are saved, saved, unsaved, thanks are saved. That's not my role. That is your role in your heart and in your life. The apostle here is writing to us and letting us know that this is something that we ought to be fearful about. This is something we ought to take close attention on. It is not my duty to sort out the liars, to sort out the deceived, the duped, the confused from the truth. But it is my responsibility to present and expose how you can ensure it for yourself. Keep your hand here and you can flip over to the, to the book of 1 John just a few pages later. 
Look at 1 John chapter 5. This is uh, probably the most familiar example of this. The book of 1 John was written by the apostle John, John the Beloved. Most people believe that he was writing it to a group of people who were worried because they kept messing up, but they, they thought they were saved. And Well, how do we really know if we're saved or not? How can we truly know the, whether we've been born again by the Spirit of God? I, I keep messing up. I make these mistakes. I, make these, I, I do these sins, and I, I don't want to do them. You remember Paul back in Romans 7? He says, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Ugh. And John, I believe, was writing to a group of people who were struggling with this very thing. And notice what he says in First uh, John chapter number 5, look at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Stop for a minute. In other words, everything that I have given to you here in the book of First John, I have written to you for a reason. Here's the reason. All of you who believe on the name of the Son of God, I have written these things that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You go through the book of 1 John, you're going to find a lot of things that hit you in the face like a cup of cold water in a hot shower. You ever been there? Yeah, that was always one of the fun gags, wasn't it? Yeah, you're at the gym and you're taking a shower and somebody decides to bring ice cold water and dump it on you when you got that hot water. Yeah, that's no good. That's no fun. That's the way 1 John feels a lot of times. 1 John, he, he lets us know there in verse 13 of chapter 5, I wrote these for a specific purpose. You read the book of 1 John, you examine your life in light of 1 John, you'll know whether or not you're saved. That's what he says. That's the Cliff Notes version of it. So if you're struggling with that today, I highly encourage you, pick up the Bible, Open up to 1 John, spend the next month reading nothing but 1 John over and over and over and over and over and over again. You'll find out. Specifically, he is speaking with those who are trying to add sacrifice on top of what Jesus has provided. Realize this, it can't be done. Going back to Hebrews chapter Number 10, verse 26 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So let's get that out in the open first. Jesus Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, period. You try to add anything else to it, C.S. Lewis in his screw tape letters uh, referred to it as Christianity and. He says, if you can't keep them away from Christ, add something to it. I need to be a follower of Christ and a tither. I need to follow Christ and teach Sunday school. I need to follow Christ and get baptized. I need to stop. It's Jesus. That's it. No other sacrifice is acceptable. Generally, he is not speaking to the unlearned heathen. He is speaking to those who have received the truth. You see that in verse 26? For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the, tr the knowledge of the truth. Anyone who has had God's Word revealed to them are forever responsible for what they do with that truth. 
forever. There will be no, well, I was waiting until tomorrow. I was waiting until down the road. I was putting this off until, no, 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 there won't be any of that. When you are given the truth and you know the truth, it would be foolishness for me if I'm making my way, I'm driving somewhere and I've never been in this area before and I'm, I'm trying to find something and, and uh, oh, you, everybody, well, pull, plug it in your GPS. Anybody else ever been driven into a lake by GPS? I've been there. We ended up down some holler on my way back home one time. We were following the GPS. Let's try a new route. This is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Banjos in the distance. Yeah. Listen, when you're driving down a back hollow of West Virginia with a, a Ohio license plate, you've just got a target saying, kick me. In certain parts, it's shoot me. And you'll never see it coming. But I'm driving down, and I'm making my way through, and I'm lost. I have no clue where to go. And someone says, you need to drive that way and then turn right. Okay. He must know this area. He's lived here all his life. I'm going to go this way. If it doesn't work out, I'll try your way. But I think I'm just going to keep on driving down this road. No, if you keep driving down that road, you're going to end up in a mess, son. You need to go that way and then turn right. I'll take that under advisement. Duly noted and filed. Every wife in here is going, eh, sounds familiar. Listen to me. A fool would continue to go down the wrong path when the right path has been revealed to them. If you have been given the truth of God's word and you continue to go the opposite direction, you, my friend, as much as it may hurt you to hear, are a fool. This is what's being talked about. I want you to note several things in this. The second part of it being their, what is their sin. We understand that he is speaking not just to the unsaved, not just to this group of... He's speaking to every single one of us. It's time to listen up. Don't be thinking, I wish so-and-so was here. Don't be thinking, oh, I hope they're listening. Are you listening? That's what you need to be thinking about. What is this willfully continuing to sin? Well, it has both a general and a particular understanding. Going back to verses 22 through 25, it says, let us draw near, verse 23, let us hold fast, verse 24, let us consider, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, so forth and so on. There's your specific, your particular uh, understanding of this text. Because he's basing a lot of this off what he's recently said. But there's also a general. Now the general does not refer specifically to one individual sin but the rejection of God and rebellion to His Word. That's what's being talked about. This idea of willful sin, this is that presumptuous sin. Remember, uh, David prayed about it. He says, uh, keep me from presumptuous sins. Willful. I'm choosing to do wrong. 
Now, I want it to be very clear with this. This is not talking about um, uh, holding on to your salvation as much as it is talking about do you actually have salvation. We're going to see that as we continue through this. See, the question is about your attitude because your attitude and response to God's Word will reveal your view of Jesus. It will. Mark it down. Some can say, well, <clears throat> you know, I've got, uh, uh, I-, I love Jesus. I-, I love me some God. Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus. And-, and I even got a bumper sticker, preacher. I got a bumper sticker. It says, honk if you love Jesus. Some guy honked at me the other day. I flipped him off, but I've got the bumper sticker. You, <laughs> you laugh. I've seen it. Now, let's back up for a minute because God knows Facebook is going to have a heyday with that. I did not flip somebody off, all right? But I've seen it done. Honky for love, Jesus. Beep. Ooh. I just love Jesus. <laughs> you said to honk. Doesn't matter. Whatever you want on the back of your car, that doesn't scream salvation. I want you to notice a couple other things with this. Your attitude and response to God's Word will reveal your view of Jesus. But the question really comes down to this. Is He Lord? Take note of something with me. There's a lot of people today willing and excited to take Jesus as their Savior. But very few want to make Him their Lord. But we say it all the time, don't we? My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is He the Lord of your television? Is He the Lord of your computer? Is He the Lord of your car? Is He the Lord of your home? Is He the Lord of your schedule? Is He the Lord of your pocketbook? Is He the Lord of your radio? Is He the Lord of your smartphone? Is He the Lord of your eyes? Is He the Lord of your mouth? Is He the Lord of your ears? Your hands? A lot of people happy making Him their Savior. Well, Pastor, you're dealing with my stuff now. Mm-mm. If He's your Lord, it's all His stuff. So let's be honest. Is He your Lord? Note just a couple more things on this. Look at what the outcome is. The outcome. I want you to look with me at verse uh, 35 in here. It says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. You know, this is an, it, it's revealing of an attitude. It says, don't cast away certain things. We're going to look at that more in depth next week. But it really kind of ties together with what's being said uh, in uh, verse number 28. Notice this, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye 
Shall be he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. I want you to see the idea of the attitude being exposed by this in our response to God's Word. He says there in verse 28 that he that despised Moses' law without, died without mercy. The person who had Moses' law worked to try to keep Moses' law, failed. That was one thing. But the person who willfully and purposefully went against Moses' law was deserving of execution. Everybody likes good old David, right? Only a boy named David, only a little sling. Killed a man named Uriah. Took his wife for himself. I know that didn't rhyme. That's the best I could do. Tim will have to work on that for me. Should have been executed, but enjoyed the mercy of God. Right? David should have been put to death for his sin. And so should you and I. But he experienced grace. And so do you and I. I want you to note how this all comes together. He talked about the Old Testament. They that despised Moses' law were put to death. He says this, of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall be he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing. Note that passage, an unholy thing. The term for holy means special, something set apart, something better than. To be unholy is something that is common. You don't have a middle ground when it comes to the holy and the common. There is no middle ground. Just like with people. God doesn't see really good people, somewhat good people, moderately good people, eh, and then the rest. He sees two groups of people. The born again and the not. There's no middle ground. And so things that are holy are holy and held in high regard. Things that are common are replaceable. Just common. And the idea that the writer of Hebrews is presenting to us here is this, that when we reject and ignore God's Word, we are treating it as if it was something that was common. I can get it anywhere. Remember the example I gave? Here I am, I'm lost. I asked the guy, how do I get where? He says, go down the road, turn right. And I go, well, that's good advice. I'll think about it. But I'm going to keep trying my way and see if I get out. How many times do we sit under the preaching of the Word of God? We are given truth from God's Word and we walk away with this idea. That's good advice. 
I'll think about it. My friend, that is willfully rejecting and treating the Word of God as something common. It's good advice. I'll put it in the camp of, you know, you got the Bible and you've got Dr. Phil and now come on. Old Dr. Phil, I'm not going to take sides, but you're at fault. <laughs> really? So there's a lot of people, well, you know, that's what that pastor says. And, you know, that sounds pretty nice and everything, but that doesn't agree with what Oprah said. I'm sorry, Oprah ain't the gospel. When the Word of God is proclaimed, we have two choices, accept it or reject it. Well, I, I didn't reject it. I'm just going to think about it. You have rejected it if you haven't rejected There's no middle ground with this. To reject Christ is to invite judgment and wrath. Look what it says in verse 26 leading into 27. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. Catch this. If we don't get anything else this morning, please receive this. If you have been sitting under the preaching and under the gospel for any amount of time, one day, one moment, one week, one year, it doesn't matter. You have been presented with the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for you. To reject that, you, my friend, are inviting the judgment of God. And that's something that ought to scare every single one of us out of our shoes. For me to say, I don't want what he's provided, or I'll think about that, is to say, bring on the judgment. And this is something that ought to wake some of us up who have been playing around with, with the, the, the offer of salvation for many a day, many a month, many a year, and we're still, I'm just taking it under advisement, not all in yet, though. Whoa. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you have been given the truth of God's Word, you're responsible for that. There's not going to be any standing before God saying, well, I, I was going to do it next week. I wanted to wait until there was a glorious sunset. No. Now's the appointed time. But not only with that, but think about this, my friend. Those of us who are born again by the Spirit of God and claim to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, claim to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, to hear truth presented and put it aside is trotting underfoot, walking all over the glory the grace, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's good advice. Not for me. What's your attitude toward it? You see, we need to realize that knowledge creates responsibility. Creates it. The blood of Jesus and His Word are no ordinary things. No ordinary things. 
we need to quit treating them as, as if they were. Now, I want you to note why the warning. You see, we've made reference through this study about salvation being eternal. Jesus Christ did not come to give you something temporary. And we talked about it last time when we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 7. He says, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. In other words, not everybody who calls on my, uh, on my name, not everyone who says they're a believer actually is a believer. And then he follows it up with this. He says, I'll say to them in that day, I never knew you. Never. Not used to, not once upon a time, never. And so if salvation is eternal, and I cannot lose my salvation, why the warnings? Maybe I'm the only one that's kind of gone down that. I don't know. I, I asked the, those questions. I was that kid. Dad, why this? I don't know. The one that wore them out, you know. And I've been given three of those. I want you to notice something here. Some warnings are for the unknowing. But this warning is directed to the religious, to the churchgoer. It's directed to you. So how do we respond to this? Well, some will ask me, well, can someone who is attending church be unsaved? Yes. Can someone who once upon a time prayed a prayer, could they actually be unsaved? Yes. Yes. Could someone who preaches the gospel actually be unsaved? Sadly, yes. Can someone who's a deacon of a church? Oh, yeah. Just kidding. The question comes, what about you? What about you? You see, there's a couple different responses that can happen with a warning such as this. True belief equates to salvation. But there are many people who intellectually assent to it or perhaps emotionally attach themselves to Christ, but they've never truly placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They're built on the emotionalism or the thought process of it, but they've never actually accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Listen, intellectual assent and emotionalism is worthless when it comes to getting saved. Worthless. The response that you get from a warning such as this, the true believer will recognize and receive God's word as truth. They will hear, they will examine themselves, and they will respond in faith. To hear a warning such as this, they're going to go, I'm going, I, I, Lord, please check me. That's what the true believer is going to do when they hear a warning such as this. 
the person who's only in it for the intellectual or the emotional side of things, you're going to go, yeah, but what about... Well, the Bible, you know, uh, that's awful hard-nosed, preacher. I, I, don't, I don't know that I buy all that. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's good parts in the Bible. There's bad parts in the Bible. It's all really just, no, 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 stop for a minute. Mm-mm, mm-mm. The true believer will hear God's Word and will look for ways to apply it. The poser? I'll think about that for a while, but just not sure. What they really mean is no. Or maybe at best, I'm going to go home and I'm going to search the Scriptures until I can find a reason to not obey. There's many people who will do that. They will spend more time in the Word of God looking for an excuse than they will looking for a way to obey or something to do for God. The unbeliever only sees it as good advice. That probably works for him. That's all right. Not for me. Listen, so many people look for lists of what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do. Because it's easy when you have a list. You just check off, check off, check off. Can I help you with something right now? Pastor, how do I know if I'm a child of God? Do you feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on you? You see something in your life that you need to forsake, give up, change, you need to address. Do you see that? Every single one of us ought to have something we notice. Look, I'm the pastor and I got both hands up and there's ten digits. Bring up a leg too. I got a lot to work on here. You going to do it? Where you're going to go home today and you have already decided that you're going to continue living exactly the way you are. This is one of those moments where someone could drop a pin four doors down and everyone could hear it. Pastor, that's not fun to hear. Pastor, are you saying that I'm not saved if I don't apply God's Word? I didn't say that. But the evidence doesn't point in your favor. I did say that. Because the Bible said it. If you are truly born again by the Spirit of God, willful sin must be shunned. Instead of going, well, it's a good thing I'm saved so that I can keep going down this road. No. If I'm keeping going down this road, the question should be, am I really saved? Am I truly a child of God? Listen. If I don't have evidence pointing in my favor that I am a child of God, 
there's no hope. The only thing I have to look forward to if I'm not His, the only thing I have to look forward to is judgment and fire. Wrath. Yeah, but you always talk about how loving God is. Oh, yeah. He loves you so much that He gave you the way out. If you reject it, it's not because He was looking for an opportunity to knock you down. It's because you chose, I want the judgment instead of what you have to offer. I'm pretty good. I think I can stand up to it. So do you hear God's Word and do you accept it as truth? Or, hang on just a minute before we go down that one. Read with me that final or that that passage one more time. I know I closed my Bible, but I think it bears repeating. Verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Are you, my friend, despising God's Son and His Spirit by rejecting His truth? Are you? Are you despising God's Son by ignoring His Word? Are you despising the Holy Spirit of God that calls you to change? Those are your two options. Either you hear God's Word and accept it and apply it as God's Word, Remember 1 Thessalonians? You received it not as man's words, but as God's word. Or are you despising God's Son? Realize this. You are responsible. And because you have now been given the truth, your responsibility just went up. And the punishment so much sorrow. You can't claim ignorance any longer. What are you going to do with it? Father, Your Word presents to us truth. Lord, I know in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing But because of Your Son, I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me, empowering me, helping me. I pray, Lord, that You would help us to 
draw near unto you. The God in heaven, those in our midst who perhaps, perhaps they believe they know you, but they truly don't, would see their condition this morning. The Father, they would break away from their rags of religion and their attempts at good works. All in a vain effort to appease themselves. And Father, that they would turn from their wicked ways and no longer shun and reject and despise the grace of God. I pray, Father, for those of our midst who do know You as Savior, but they have not been living lives revealing this, but something this morning was revealed to their heart, was revealed to their very mind. And because of what they know as far as being a child of God, they are going to submit to that. God, I beg You, work in our midst. Wake us up. Let it never be said, Father, that we trampled the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. Help us, Father, to embrace truth. Protect us from these willful sins. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.